This is PWTorch.com editor Wade Keller, along with Torch VIP audio analyst Todd Martin. This is The Fix with Todd Martin, recorded on Wednesday, February 15th, 2017. Uh, Todd, I hear a little beeping in the background. Is that is that you? Troublemaker. <laughs> what happened with that? You left us on a cliffhanger last week. Now, I know I'm playing dumb. <laughs> yeah, uh, at some point a couple of years ago, um, the ceiling needed to re- be replaced, and unbeknownst to me, there was a, a fire alarm above the, the ceiling reconstruction left end, um, and so I had to I had to break into the ceiling uh, to get the, the fire alarm. Uh, needless to say, I was I was displeased with this turn of events. <laughs> um, I I just hope that there was a view from your position breaking the ceiling like a madman and your neighbor looking through the window so that the neighbors can see this madman tearing apart his ceiling in a fit of rage. I feel like there's always somebody watching when I'm doing something particularly ridiculous. <laughs> very, very good. It may be the Usos. Yes, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, very good. All right, thank you, Todd. Um, well, let's uh, let's make this an unconventional week. Let's start with some talk about uh, New Japan Pro <laughs> Wrestling, New Beginning Osaka, with Kevin Kelly and uh, uh, Don Callis. How, uh, how how do you like their announcing so far? And then uh, let's let's talk about this event. I know people are are kind of excited about who can get signed up to New Japan World Pro. They're excited about some American commentary with some voices they know. Well, it's hard to judge too much the. Uh, the Callis Kelly team at this point. I mean, I liked them the first event. This time, you know, it seemed like uh, Callis was was deathly ill. <laughs> so and he just will... talked nonstop about it. Well, I mean, it's difficult. It's it's difficult to hide when you're uh, when you're uh, when you're dying out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't like if he'd said nothing, people wouldn't have uh, have likely picked up on it. So. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of difficult at this point in time. Like I said, I liked them the uh, yeah. the first time out. Um, and, and I, I like the, uh, the team. I think Kevin Kelly is, uh, is very good at his job. And I was a big fan of Don Callis, um, back in the day in a variety of different roles that he played. So I was sort of pleased when, uh, when I heard he was sort of getting back more into, into wrestling. Cause he's, you know, there's sort of a, there are people that over time you sort of feel, like they could have done more, but it just sort of passes through and they don't end up doing more in the wrestling business. And on the talent side, it doesn't really strike you necessarily as much because, uh, because eventually they just sort of decline physically. And so it's sort of just a moot point. It doesn't really matter. Even if, you know, like I thought too cold Scorpio could have been a much bigger star. I thought Al Snow could have been a much bigger star, whoever. Um, you know, it doesn't matter over time, but the people that are sort of intelligent, behind the scenes that can do more than just uh than just wrestle you feel like there's more uh utility that they can have um and so when it sort of doesn't happen it's sort of uh uh disappointing from the standpoint of the business in general i mean that's a conversation we've had before about paul Heyman. something i felt about um conan in the u.s scene for years i mean obviously he's had a big influence in mexico but um, I would have loved to have seen what he could have done in a creative capacity in uh, in the U.S., but he was never really given that opportunity, despite having a very strong track record in uh, um, in Mexico. So yeah, I'm happy to see uh, see Callis back in uh, in a uh, 
not necessarily creative capacity, but sort of an intellectual capacity, for lack of a better way of putting it. Although when they do go to the highlights of past matches and they go back to the Japanese commentary, there is, like, part of me is like, ah, I do miss that energy level. I mean, you know, Kevin Kelly's good, but the the over-the-top but in a good appropriate way Japanese announcing still has has quite the charm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of excitement. It's sort of funny. I, I was... Uh, Listen to other people saying the same thing, and my sort of philosophy on it is I, I just find it very hard to imagine, and not that you were even advocating for this, it was sort of a, a point about the enthusiasm level, which, you know, I'm not really one to be speaking right now, given I'm sort of feeling uh, uh, sick and, and tired, so I'm not, like, bouncing off the walls myself, but... um yeah, the, the anyway, the, so, I mean, your point was more about enthusiasm level, but, you know, people saying, oh, they prefer the, the Japanese commentary, my my philosophy is why why would you want a commentary of anything um in a language you don't understand over a language that you do understand with with the with the uh with the Matt Striker exception um, I was going to bring up Josh Matthews that, but okay No I mean Josh Matthews doesn't even make the exception wow, um okay. You know, that's a, it's a one person exception. <laughs> if you're, if you're so, if you're so utterly, uh, grating to the, uh, to the ear that anything would be better than you, then fine. <laughs> but, you know, in, in general, like even if a not particularly good, uh, announcer in a language you speak, I, I, I prefer personally over a language I don't speak, even if they're very enthusiastic saying things that I don't understand. I don't know, I can listen to podcasts all day from people speaking languages I don't understand as long as they bring more passion to it than, than <laughs> And you hope just for osmosis to learn. What there were, yeah, there was some sitcom, probably like a friends episode where Phoebe was listening and didn't pick up any language, but she just figured if she fell asleep to it she'd learn it by listening to a foreign language overnight. That didn't quite work for me with Japanese wrestling tapes over the years, but it has helped me pronounce wrestlers' names. Um which isn't necessarily evident on this show, but over the years, uh, it, it has. <laughs> well, to be fair, you, you have trouble with the, uh, the American names joke. So. <laughs> oh, nice. You're not too tired to be mean. All right. All right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about this show. Um, uh, Tatsuya Naito, Michael Elgin, uh, pretty epic, uh, IWGP Intercontinental Championship match. Uh, what'd you think of this one? I thought it was, I thought it was a great match. Yeah. I mean, this year already, just, uh, a weekend, a couple weeks in, has produced a lot of great matches. I, I thought this was better than the Cena Styles match at the Royal Rumble. Um, not, not the level of the Okada, um, Omega match, but, um, that's gonna be difficult to top pretty much any year. So, I mean, I thought it was just a tremendous match. They told a, you know, a great story with the powerhouse Elgin, um, Having his his uh, knee taken out from under him, and that sort of being the uh, the factor that Naito was using against him, I was I was it was sort of surprising to me. Maybe it shouldn't have been that surprising, but um, the crowd was you know very much into Elgin um, because I mean Naito has a following of his own, and Elgin being the foreigner, I was figuring that um, it would be more sort of split. And Naito did get his support here and there, but it did seem like the the crowd by and large was was behind Elgin, so that had to be encouraging for uh, for Elgin as far as. Uh, as far as the status he holds over there. Elgin really has, from just the way he carries, I mean, he's got, he's, he wrestles with, uh, the, a big man style, a powerhouse style. So I, I don't know who historically is, is best to compare him to as he kind of evolves, but a little bit of Doc Williams at this, uh, Steve Williams at this point kind of comes through in terms of, I think, his body language, his demeanor, his toughness, but also, uh, just ability to hit some pretty innovative power moves too. But he just there's a there is a a, a 
uh, kind of a, a swagger, badass swagger to him that he just didn't have in his facial expressions a couple years ago. And I think being accepted and main eventing in New Japan where that's not a gift that's given to anyone, I think has, has shown through and he's, he's delivered in the ring to live. And that helps too. I mean, he obviously knows he's, he's carrying his end of these big matches, but he's not just a, a emotional blank slate, uh, or vacuous looking in terms of what he emotes now. There's a real, uh, kind of bravado that I think fits what the Japan audience looks for in that, in that slot for an American. It's also, I mean, it's a more, in general, there's a more subtlety in, in, in Japanese pro wrestling than American pro wrestling, so you can stand out more without necessarily going over the top. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely am a believer in the idea of, of confidence sort of building upon itself in wrestling and, and performers sort of becoming better and becoming more successful just on the basis of, of their confidence level and their push. Um, because I've just, seen it so many so many times over the years where wrestlers you, you sort of you see them improving as they get a push because they're sort of believing in themselves and it's one of the i mean one of the benefits of of, of pushing more people as opposed to sort of keeping people on the same line and you know the downside of that is then you know you sort of get ahead and you become hard to deal with from a management standpoint but it you know it, it, it leads to i think a more interesting product when you've got a bunch of people that um that have a lot of confidence in themselves, and you've sort of used the, the, the phrase of sort of the, the the outlaw idea, and you know I think there's something to that, and you know in and of itself of sort of being someone that's sort of perceived as a rebel, but there's also just something we said, and I think it's it's somewhat different of just the person that sort of feels like and is presented like a larger than life star, and um, you know I, I, I think that there's a benefit to have a lot of people that are that are perceived that way, even if they're not perceived as, as rebels, they're just perceived as as somebody that's important. And you know, one of the easiest ways to to be taken as important is winning a lot of matches. Very good. Um, anything else on on this match execution or the finish and where both guys go? Well, with there? the yeah, well, I mean, with the two new beginning shows. Um, or last couple weekends and, and one being the, uh, ended up being the, the showcase for, for Okada at the end against Suzuki and the other being the, the showcase for, for Naito against, uh, Elgin. It really feels like that's, that's gonna become a, uh, a really big feud over time. I mean, they've had their interactions before, um, and, and their matches before, but as they've sort of in the last year and a half sort of emerged as the two top, um, younger not necessarily that young but younger japanese stars they're sort of i feel like they're sort of being set up as sort of natural rivals and they have very different personas i feel like that's going to be a, a a big time feud um over the next few years i, I could see that you know headlining the tokyo dome and for Wrestle kingdom a, a, a couple of times uh very very good um anything else uh you want to focus on from the undercard in the other matches I mean, tra poor Dragon Lee. I mean, seemed he seems bound and determined to to, to cripple himself um, against Takahashi. He didn't pull off the job, but I mean, he he made a damn concerted effort yeah. um, along those lines. I mean, that was I know, that was one of the more dangerous matches I've seen in, in ages. Um, you know, even compared to sort of heavy stipulation matches of 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 the past. I mean, they didn't have. Tables and ladders and chairs, but Jesus, I mean, that, I mean, Dragon Lee in particular was uh, was just flying all over him, uh, flying all over the place. Um, it was like, an exciting match. But, I, I like blinked yeah, and missed. I, I blinked and missed that one spot where he like just 
like it was like he was shot out of a ca- I think he was shot out of a cannon when he did that a sunset flip through the ropes to the to, to ringside and just landed with a thud. Don't shoot yourself out of cannons, people. It's it's dangerous stuff. Yes. Um, you know, I I know I know I did suggest that with Stephanie once, but that was that was in jest. I I, I didn't want to literally have her shot in a cannon. I just like her to be put in a plane and and <laughs> placed someplace where she's not going to come back from. It, it was um, that, and it was a flying clothesline, not not a uh, sunset flip. I, I now I remembered what the spot was. I mean, he he his feet hit the ropes as he flew flew through the ropes, so it should have slowed him down. But it looked like it actually accelerated him. I've never seen anyone like. Go like seem to speed up to double speed when they just switch camera views. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. I just, I, was like, I seriously, I had to rewind it a couple times and rewatch it. I, I thought he was shot out of a cannon. So, um, yeah, that was. I mean, some of the spots he did though, yeah, were. It's been a week. It's been a week for defying physics. I was, I was interested on on SmackDown yesterday when I I saw for the first time an explosion before Impact. That was <laughs> that was an interesting, an interesting. Uh, it, I mean, it made me re-question, you know, the the <laughs> basic physical bounds of the universe in front of us. Well, and especially after last week when there were, was beeping with no source for the sound. <laughs> <laughs> the foundation was set. Uh, all right, yeah. So, uh, any, any, keep going. Oh, what other talking points? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, those the, the, there were sort of three big matches. Those yeah. are the the two, and then the other one being the uh, the Shibata Osprey match. And the Shibata Osprey match was a little disappointing. It was still a very good match, but um, I was sort of, and, and it wasn't even anything that they did because everything they did was very good. But I was sort of hoping that it would be this all-out war that would take. Uh, uh, Osprey to a higher level, and that wasn't the goal. I mean, the goal was more like the Juice Robinson Goto match the week before, where it was about giving the younger guys some shine, and then at the end he loses, you know, quite decisively to the uh, to the established star, and and that's a different story than a story that was primarily about Osprey. And so, I mean, I guess you know, it's you sort of hope for for different things, and that that wasn't anything that they did. That was just you know. Um, Sort of the way you perceive people and what they can do, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a, a terrific show. The uh, the New Japan show in general. There's over the weekend. There's the New Japan show. There's the WWE show and the UFC show. And usually with three promotions that are, are doing such different things, um, it's sort of difficult to uh, to to size them up as far as what was better, what was worse. But this weekend, it was not difficult to size up these three shows. The New Japan show was clearly the best of the three. The WWE show was clearly the second best of the three, yeah. and the UFC show was clearly the worst of the three um and you know i i i defy anyone to tell me differently i defy them wade <laughs> that sounds like a challenge but i i am so <laughs> agree with you i'm not going to take you up on it uh that would feel insincere um all right cool well just to uh continue to be unconventional uh let, let's talk somewhat about uh ufc and, and start with when that you first said unconventional by the way i thought you were gonna go with smackdown first i was i was oh, uh, no, my, no. my heart was beating quickly i was getting nervous <laughs> i was like oh let's let's not get too crazy here wade no we're, we're shaking things up um you can uh if you genuinely are upset by this you're, you're welcome to email email <laughs> me and let me know um but uh, let's talk about UFC because I have a feeling that uh, you you might peter out uh, by the end, and so uh, let's let's get this in. And we got a, a fader. What a nice thing to to throw a bone to the UFC to the UFC fans. That's very nice of you, Wade. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, I also want to talk a little GSP too. Um, the news that he's reached agreement. In fact, let's start with that before we get into the uh, the reviews of the show, or the review of Saturday, and a look ahead of the weekend. Um, it, it, UFC is certainly in a position going into this year. With Connor, Ronda, now Brock Lesnar announcing his retirement yesterday officially. 
And uh, who although knows? he could still be back, the, the the official retirement pretty much just means he's not looking to fight in July. That's, and, he, and he prefers not to be amazing. tested. Yes, well, 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 no. I mean, that's a part of it. Is if you're not planning on fighting in um, in July, then you need four months essentially of testing before you, uh, before unless you get a waiver, which I mean, you could probably. <laughs> well, it'd be more, it'd be hard to justify a second time around, but yeah. I could still see them um, pulling it off. But uh, you know, you need you need four months of testing after you return from retirement. So essentially, that would all mean that if if you wanted to fight at the year end show, which is also a pretty big one, he would just need to announce in August that he was planning to do so. So that's really all there is the the extent to to where the uh, the retirement means something. So not in the July show, which is another one of their big shows. But I I I I, I still think it's more likely than not that he'll be back at some point. Damn it, that's my next question, and you took it. Um... How, well, what, I'm seeing ahead. I'm, 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 are, I'm already, I'm already anticipating, and and uh, well, I wasn't even anticipating. I just flowed naturally from what I was saying. But I can always edit in a question, you know, just slice <laughs> it right in the middle. <laughs> um, it, uh, if do you uh, okay? To just to expand on that, do you think the odds are, are really good? Brock fights again, uh, just better than fifty-fifty, but not by much. Where, where are you as far as that goes? Um, I guess if you uh, if I had to put the odds, I'll say seventy percent he fights once more. Okay, just once more though, even win or lose. Well, well no, oh. that, that would be At that least. would include if he fought five more times, he also would have fought once more. So okay, that's the way I was thinking of it. Usually, people proceed that with at least, just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, I I can I can hang up right now. <laughs> that, that is, you don't understand. That's been my goal for almost two years, and it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> um, not that I want you to hang up and never call back. I just, you know, I've I've, I've caused I've hung up on Bruce a couple times in the middle of audio. So, huh, really? Or maybe there's just yeah. private conversations. No, I think we did. I'm once in audio. I think I. Got so yeah, I've never. I've never hung up on one of these shows although there was there was one time in the show before where i got very mad that was the only time i've ever been mad with any of the audio shows uh, I've okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right um so uh brock lesnar really not all that newsworthy is is your take other than it, it rules him out for july's unless he changes his mind next week that's my take i mean yeah. and, and, you know i could be objectively wrong about that i mean brock's could this could be brock's ideas i'm done for good, um, and then even then, he could change his mind. But I mean, yeah. that that would be a different calculation than what I think it even is. I think it's just you know, like if I want to continue to be on the active roster and continue to take drug tests, um, then I can stay here or I can retire. I don't have to take drug tests for the time being. But if I want to fight at some point um, in the future, I just resume drug tests in advance. You know, yeah. it's I think that's probably the way they're they're thinking about it. So, so with with Brock, at least out of the picture in the short term. And Connor out of the picture, most likely in the short term. Ron most likely out of the picture in the short, perhaps long term. And uh, who knows if John Jones, you know, can stay out of jail between now and, and his return. Um, George St. Pierre became more important. Um, they don't have top drawing or, or you know, top tier drawing uh, legacy stars or emerging stars to uh, to give them a. Good well, hey, hold on, they do have emerging. They they have Yo Romero coming, Wade. Come on, he's he's coming, Wade. He hasn't yeah, he, has he hasn't headlined a pay per view yet. Connor, you know, the first pay per view show that he headlined was you know whatever it was, six hundred, eight hundred thousand buys. Um, you know, once once the momentum starts, you know, it it it, it gets going. So <laughs> very good. Um, so how how big is this? Uh, I mean, GSP. He, 
represented the, uh, the, the Fighters Association, and uh, both Dana and GSP had some harsh words about each other, mostly Dana saying GSP doesn't seem to want to fight anymore and doesn't have, the, doesn't have that drive, and there was some talk that he might end up in Bellator. Is this, is this a surprise? Is this a, uh, a, a, big, a big move for UFC, or do you think GSP at this stage might even be a little overrated in terms of what he can do for them? I think this is big news. I'm I'm certainly very happy about it. Um, I'm I'm curious how George will do. I I, I hope that we don't see a, you know a diminished George. We never like to see that with with any athletes. Although I mean his you know he's it, you know his his legacy is solid either way. Just like Silva, it doesn't really matter if you know the tail end isn't as impressive, even if we we'd like to see that. But no, I I've heard people sort of question. Um, what, how much of a draw George will be, will be coming back without the right matchups. And I don't know. I just think that he's so popular with a big segment of the fan base that his, his fights are just going to be events uh, every time out, um, you know, for the foreseeable future. I, I don't think he even needs particularly strong opponents. I think the idea of George St. Pierre returning, um, to action after all these years, um, having given up his title, um, I mean, that's, I mean that's just, that's a classic. I mean we've seen it in pro wrestling plenty of times over the years. You know the I mean that was that was Vern's thing. Um, you know like uh, uh, and actually there there are a fair number of similarities between Vern and George St Pierre. Also a lot of dissimilarities, but a fair number of both. Um, Bald and bald shaved head, <laughs> receding hairline. I guess. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know if if I mean I I assume that's probably the case, but I mean given he's been shaving his head since. You know, he was in his in his early to mid twenties. I mean, who knows? Maybe well, he, he hasn't even has seen a widow. Him. He definitely has a widow's peak. I'll I'll at least go there. I hadn't even. I, yeah, I, I didn't really notice one way or another. I'm looking at a picture, um, Todd. I'm looking at a picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, why do you gotta you fight said, me on this? You said that. Said I didn't feel I was fighting you. I, I you know, I, I wasn't. I'm to get I was just being up. noncommittal. Yeah. I know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you're not you're not very good at that. I mean, I mean, for for one thing, like, like if you really wanted, like, if you really wanted to, to challenge me, I, I I listen to these shows you do, and I'll be making a point with you, and then like a week later, I, I I'll hear you making the exact opposite point, and it's like, you know, why you got to be a coward, Wade? You know, like I'm right here. You could have said it when I was here, but but you don't say it. You don't say it. Um, you know, it's you, you don't want to be scared. You, you gotta you, you, point point these things out to me. I don't. Maybe I. Have new information, or watch something, or listened to you, pondered it, thought about it, and then, <laughs> uh, and then drew a different conclusion. Maybe I talked to Bruce, and he talked to me, talked talked to me in a different direction. I mean, who knows? You know, you can bring this stuff up. <laughs> well, no, I, I really can't because I don't know what you're going to do in the future. That's the whole point. Like, and then I hear like a, a while later, and I'm like, eh, well, the point's gone now. You know, like nothing to. I I, I, I like to be challenged, but you you, yeah. you you run scared. It's it's it's, it's oh, bad. It's no, bad. I'm gonna hang up. It's bad. Um, so yeah, where was he going? Oh yeah. So I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see George back and I think he's going to be, I think his fights when he's back are going to be really big. Um, as far as your, your one aspect you're sort of asking about was the, uh, you know, how surprising it was. And I mean, I certainly wasn't expecting it any given day because obviously they've been, they've been far apart, but I mean, it was clearly the, the smart play from both sides. I mean, if George wants to make the big payday and the big, uh, the big, you know the big uh, the big point of contention was how much he was going to be paid. Um, then UFC was the place to go. That was where he was going to be able to make the most money. And UFC, as you pointed out, has a bunch of uh, you know a bunch of people that have been draws that aren't really there anymore and can use a guy like George St. Pierre badly. So 
uh, it made a lot of sense for both sides. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. What's the fight that you think could happen that you hope doesn't with GSP? Well, <laughs> the, the, the fight that I think could happen that I don't want to see is GSP versus Michael Bisping for the middleweight title because I could see Michael Bisping trying to weasel his way out of the fight with Yoel Romero. Um, so that's yeah. the fight I, don't want, that's <laughs> fight I don't want to see. And, you know, Michael Bisping was talking that up um, uh, yesterday on, on, on Ariel's show. Um, and... I, you know, my sort of jokes aside about the, the Yo Michael Bisping thing, I, I, I respect Michael Bisping a lot. I like the guy. Um, uh, which is why I donated to the, to the donate thing. Um, <laughs> among other, uh, among other reasons. But, I mean, he's, you know, he was talking about like wanting to fight GSP first and then fighting Yo later. And, you know, he fought the Dan Henderson fight first last time. I mean, he was very upfront, you know, about the idea of, you know, I've fought so many high-level fighters over the course of my career, but now I'm the champion, and I'm hoping to make some big paydays. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, you know, I, I, I can understand why, in his perspective, you know, in his position, he doesn't know that he's necessarily going to be in this position again. So he'd like to uh, get in some big money fights, and George St. Pierre is the biggest money fight that he could uh, that he could get in. So I, I can understand why he'd be lobbying for that, but I, you know, I, I don't want to see. I mean, I just don't want to see justice denied for such a long period of time. You've always been the uncrowned king for, you know, a good 15 years now. Um, and it's time that he's, you know, it's, it's time that he's recognized as, as the best MMA fighter. I mean, he was the best MMA fighter before he started training MMA. Um, you know, and it's, it's been a long, it's been a long like way. Like you're the best podcaster even before you podcasted. I don't know about that. I mean, I wouldn't put myself in Yoel's category. <laughs> okay. Just check it. Um, so, uh, what are your uh, what are your GSP fights? You know, do you have a top one, top three? Like, where where are the fights that you're going to be happy if they announce it? And then, where does the drop off come in? Not to like you know Michael Bisping dimensions, but I hadn't I hadn't thought about it, to be perfectly honest. I mean, the obvious thing is him fighting for the uh, uh, the welterweight title with whoever's the champion, Woodley or uh, Wonder Boy, given that he didn't lo- he didn't lose that right. uh, title. Um, I'm just pulling that up here to see who else is in there. I, I think 170 is a better weight class for him, so um, yeah, I, I'd 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 like to see that. Are you more um, intrigued with either? Like, would you be rooting for either Woodley or Thompson to win based on just wanting to being intrigued to see GSP against one or the other more? I I like. I think Woodley and, and Wonderboy would be an interesting style matchup, but I I think Woodley and and GSP would have an interesting hype to it because um, they sort of. Woodley's sort of drawing it sort of a distinct personality, and I think I think a fight with with GSP would sort of take him to a higher level, as sort of a uh, you know personality and turning him into a star. Um, whereas Wonderboy, I think the the build to it might be kind of bland, and I think Woodley and and, and GSP is a very interesting style matchup in in and of its own right. So I like the Woodley fight better than the Thompson fight. Um, I'm sort I pulled up the uh, the welterweight listeners we were talking about. The Robbie Lawler fight was something they were talking about. I think that would be a fun fight. Um, an interesting, uh, an interesting style matchup given that GSP, uh, has never, you know, he's never really liked being hit. I don't, I don't think most people like being hit. Um, but, you There's know, a like, few in USC who seem to like it, but that. <laughs> yeah, but Lawler, Lawler hits hard. Um, yeah. so I mean, that, that, 
presents problems there. GSP had talked about the idea of liking a Damian Maya fight. I'm not as intrigued by that one. I just think like it's just a perfect matchup for GSP. I, I, as much as I, I would like to see D- Damian Maya against some of these other guys. Like, I think Maya could present some interesting uh, challenges for uh, for Woodley in particular. I just, I just think GSP would would uh, would keep him at bay, use his footwork, and jab him to death. I don't think, um, I don't think it would be very competitive. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, I mean those are sort of the big contenders any, in, uh, any in the chance UFC. Of a, any chance of a Conor McGregor? GSP fight is that on the radar at all? Sure, you could do that. I mean, I the thing I always the issue with that I always had was I just don't know how you would it would sort of be a weird sell in the sense that GSP has always been sort of the traditional babyface protagonist in the story, and you know Connor, I mean Connor he can sort of play antagonist to different people, but I don't know that he want to play antagonist to GSP because I think he I think he'd recognize that it would cut into his popularity. With well, I mean, maybe he wouldn't, but and he'd, he'd do that. He'd do that anyway. But I think, I think he'd probably recognize that that would cut into his popularity if he went at GSP pretty hard. So I don't know that the fight. I mean, obviously it would do very big because they're two big stars. But like, I don't know that it would it would do as well as I think people thinking in the abstract would think it would do. Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly that's something that they would uh, they would look into given. Um, Given those are the two biggest stars, an opportunity to match up the two guys that are the are the biggest stars is about, is always an intriguing possibility. How about uh, Nick or Nate? I mean, sure, you could do it. I, I don't. I'm not. Doesn't particularly grab me. I mean, we already did the. We already did Nick, and we saw how that went. Yeah. And Nate, I don't think would present any more of an an obstacle than uh, than Nick would. So I, I don't really like either of those options. I don't either. Those are kind of on my fear list. You know, the list of matches I fear they'd put out there just because. The Diaz brothers are only going to want big money fights, and that'd be one of them, and it might be what it takes to lure them back. And then just finally, uh, I it seems like although uh, one sorry yeah. before yeah. just one last thing on that, um, I, I w- the the GSP Nick Diaz was one of the most perversely entertaining builds for a fight ever. So at least would have that if it came again, like uh, that you know like the the Wolf tickets uh, press conference was. Maybe my favorite moment in MMA history outside of actual fights. Um, so hey, explain I, explain I, what that was. Essentially, GSP had spent this whole build for this fight talking about the idea that like he requested this fight with Nick Diaz because he dislikes Nick Diaz so much, and they didn't spell it out in these terms. But I'm explaining what the actual um, what what actually was being said because Nick Diaz is you know. You know, Nick Diaz is Nick Diaz, but GSP had spent all this time talking about how much he dislikes Nick Diaz and what a bad guy Nick Diaz is, and he needs to teach him some respect, and he was so upset in his last fight. He went to Dana, he said, I need to fight Nick Diaz. Um, and then the final press conference, Nick Diaz basically, his, his point was, this is all bullshit. You're selling fake tickets here, wolf tickets, um, pretending to dislike me when you don't dislike me at all. This <laughs> whole thing is bullshit. And that actually got people more interested in the fight. Nick Diaz just pointing out that that, uh. that that the whole thing was was a charade. It was great, and GSP actually I think got more mad at that point than he'd been before because <laughs> he before he was fraud. right. It was yeah. it was bullshit, yep. and Nick Diaz just went out there and pointed out this whole thing is bullshit. And GSP is like, "Come on, man! Like I'm trying to sell a fight, and you're calling me a fraud here in front of my fans. I'm trying to play the the, the baby face here. It was the, the whole thing was just. I mean, it was such a such an I mean, it was just perfect. It was perfect on every level. God, God bless Nick Diaz. <laughs> and GSP's so bad at being fake. He's not even good at being really angry, but he's especially kind of lacks that credibility of being 
fake angry. And so, it was, yeah, the contrast is, is fun. All right. Um, oh, oh, I, I think was going to say. Yeah, and one more thing. I, I, I sort of feel like this would not happen for it, the time has passed, but Anderson Silva uh, against GSP. I mean, it was talked about a few years ago as a dream fight when both guys were, you know, top tenure guys. Th- I think if, if GSP came back and he lost to one of the key guys, yeah. at that point that would be the time that, that you would make that fight. And I would be cool with that fight. I don't. I mean, it clearly wouldn't have the same R that it once did, but you know, Chuck Liddell versus Vanderlei Silva was a really fun fight. Um, yeah, that's, I, that's actually one of my all-time favorite fights that I, that, that I was at. Um, cause people were so into these guys and that was, you know, after both of their, their peak periods, but it was still cool to see it. I'd still like to see Fedor versus Brock Lesnar today. Um, you oh, know, yeah, so, yeah. uh, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think you could still do it, but I think you would want to do it if GSP had sort of established he wasn't at the level he used to be. If GSP was established at the level he used to be, then uh, it doesn't make, um, as much sense. Yeah. You just can't wait for too long for GSP to show he's not at that level. And then Anderson, you know, it turns 43, you know, or it really, really starts, you know, slowing down even more. So there's like this weird window where GSP has to show he's not top level quickly before Anderson Silva really declines. Um, where I don't, you know, well, we talk about his fight. Let's do that. Let's, uh, let's turn the page. Well, actually, before, one, one other, one yeah. other, one sleeper, and I, I'm actually not sure what his contract situation is right now. Um, but at some point in the next, couple years if GSP continues fighting a fight that I think could be really really big is GSP against Michael Venom Page um, Page uh, MVP has a big personality he has sort of a unique style that makes people sort of intrigued how he would match up with different people um, if he kept winning became a free agent and came to the UFC I think you could make an MVP GSP fight be really really big um, and obviously he doesn't have that sort of name yet um, and you know we'll see how he does as he, start, as he continues to fight higher caliber of competition but that's one that I could see being a big time fight if MVP ended up joining the UFC at some point in the next couple of years yeah cool okay uh, so uh, 208 last Saturday night um, main event uh uh, Jermaine Durandamy, Holly Holm, controversial couple post-round punches, especially the first one that seemed to stagger Holly quite badly. Um, decent amount of, of talking afterwards about that. What's your what's your take on that fight and the uh, the controversy surrounding it, including the the odd statement that it's okay to punch your opponent after the horn clearly sounds if somehow the referee hasn't put you in a straitjacket first. No, I don't think that anyone was saying it was it was okay. It was more just like you give them a warning. I I I am cool with the outrage that people have over that because I think a point deduction was justifiable. But I'm just like on principle, I, you're not going to get me getting rants about like points needing to be deducted because I just I've, I've talked about this before. I just think the point deduction system is stupid. Mm-hmm. I think that the points that are deducted basically never are commensurate with the foul itself. Um, and I, I like the fact that there are so many judges that pretend like they're going to take away, ju- take away points, but it's really just sort of a set, you know, a series of sort of threatening, you know, saber rattling about it, but not really wanting to. I mean, it's sort of, it, it has, you know, it's it has a pro wrestling of, five count in the corner. Um, you better break. You're against the ropes. One, two, three, four, five. I'm going to start over. 
but this time I mean it. One, two, three, four, and then they break. Like that's been done a lot over the years. Yeah, the reason the reason I paused is because more recently, in recent years, they actually started doing that as a DQ, which is really stupid when they do it. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I mean when we were when we were younger. Um, that pretty much never happened for good reason. It's a terrible finish. Um, and so, yeah, that was sort of the thing that never happened, but um, they've sort well, of the allowed solution, it. But... The solution in pro, wrestling, in pro wrestling is for the wrestler to break at four and not just keep taking advantage of the fact of what you said, which is it's a terrible finish to a match, so the ref won't really DQ me. Like, you just have to have a pact with the referee. Like, when he gets to four, you're going to break. <laughs> Or you, you yell at them, I've got five, referee. Um, one of my favorite Daniel Bryan spots that he... <laughs> did he ever bring, I don't think he ever brought that to, to, to WWE. Uh-uh, um, not that I remember. He should have. I did appreciate Claudio, uh, uh, Cesaro bringing uh, the hay uh, on, on on Raw. I don't know I don't know if that was just like him slipping, um, because he did that for so much for so many years, but like if he, if he brings that back, that would make me very much, very happy. I, I I didn't realize I missed it until like I heard him, him do it, and I was like, hey, he hasn't done a hay in like eight years (laughs) i miss hey um so yeah uh anyway going back to uh uh the um the 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 points i mean it's sort of like you know it's it's cold war saber rattling where you you know you threaten the the other side and you act like you're going to nuke them or do something really terrible and really nobody wants to do anything because you know what the uh the repercussions are and you know it's the same thing here well not exactly the same thing but the, the point deduction is such a a um, a, 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 a draconian measure in UFC because of the nature of um, the point system and the number of rounds that uh, you want to threaten and act like you're going to do it but not really do it and like I, I'm always concerned that at some point like it's going to become like the the conventional wisdom amongst these referees who are not always the smartest uh, sharpest knives in the drawer um, is like oh we got to point, deduct points and you start seeing points deducted left and right and like it it ends up being a negative thing. It's like it's like like a, a lot of the the, ref, the the referees seem to have gotten in their head now that like if I don't see a foul, then I can't call it. Which I mean, like okay, like it's an abstract rule, fine. But just look at the you know look at the 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 natural repercussions on both sides. I mean, on one side you give a guy a benefit of the doubt and what he fakes a low blow to buy two seconds, and on the other side like a fight ends because the guy got a low blow, you happen to miss it, and the other guy swarms on him and finishes the fight. It's such a stupid system. When I see these referees who are like, uh, like, oh, I didn't see the low blow. You can fight on, and you know this guy's, you know, like hobbling across the ring, and the other guy, if you wanted to really swarm on him, could have him in a big trouble. Same thing with the eye poke. So yeah, I mean, that's my basic philosophy on the uh, on on the point deductions. With that said, I mean, she really clocked her um, the, on the first one of them, um, and it was you know clearly after the bell that. I mean, if, if my call even saying all that, I probably would have deducted a point. And then at the point, if you decided, okay, don't deduct the point the first time because of how strong it is. At the point she did it a second time, at that point, you know, like there's a very strong argument. Um, with that said, I, before but, I move past this, in case you were about to, I, I just want to throw in. I think the, the one of the solution, not a hundred percent good solution, but one solution is let all fighters know that when the horn sounds, keep defending yourself until you're out of range. Because that really, in a way, can solve this. I mean, if, when the referee steps in, if the horn sounds, the fighter is in motion. Just be sure you you if you are not if you are quitting when you hear the horn or when you think the referee has sufficiently stepped in, get out of range and be sure you're defending yourself, so that we don't have that disappointing moment when Holly Holm is is punch drunk trying to get to fighter corner and staggering around 
and Rogan's like, oh no, oh no, you know, and it's just like, it takes away from the fight. So if we don't have a perfect solution for the rules or the point deduction and all that, at least have the fighters keep their guard up until it's clear they're not going to get that, that late shot. That's not always possible if you're reeling, but if you're not reeling and it's just, you let your guard down and someone gets a, a shot in on you, just be conscious of that. Keep your guard up for three seconds after the horn. Yeah, although, I mean, sometimes, to be fair, like, the the shot will get in even though they are sort of looking out. It's just, you know, shots get through during the during the fight, and they get through after the fight if you are, are attacking. But, yeah, certainly protecting oneself's oneself at, at all times is is a, a good philosophy in a uh in a fist fight i mean that was the yeah. the victor ortiz floyd mayweather fight was uh you know controversial one where uh, ortiz had used a series of low blows and uh you know, he was apologizing to floyd mayweather and he was apologizing a little too long the referee hadn't said bro break and floyd mayweather was like i'm sick of you apologizing he just knocked the guy out <laughs> um and you know people you know, it, it, it was sort of perceived as a cheap shot because, you know, Victor Ortiz wasn't defending himself. He was apologizing for the low blow. But, you know, hey, them's the breaks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, infractions aside and point deductions not given aside, Holly Holm, uh, how, how, how did she look? Did she um, – oh, go ahead. Comment on the fight. I don't mean to guide too much. I thought she looked very bad. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a close fight from the – from the point system, but I mean, the, the, the points that she would be given was more just like, she was throwing more, she was instigating clinches, she was just sort of more active, but like, the person who was getting the better of the fight was Jermaine. Like, I, I don't Clearly. think, yeah, I mean, even if you, like, if you sort of went in there and you, you know, you scored out each run on the 10, round on the 10 point must system and said, okay, my scores at the end add up to, add up to Holly Holm, I can't imagine too many people feeling confident like, oh, Holly Holm was, you know, the better fighter in that fight. You know, Jermaine was, you know, consistently landing the better shots throughout the entirety of the fight. Um, you know, Holly would, you know, run in a lot and try to get these shots in and she would just get countered. And when she got countered, she was just getting hit a lot harder. Um, it was, it was sort of a similar thing that we, um, talked about, um, last week before the fight, which is just, uh, that, that Jermaine has, has fought in a setting that's more conducive to sort of the, the op, you know, wide open MMA setting than, than Holly, where, you know, boxing is a very tightly regimented system. And it benefits you if you're like, a, I mean, this is why, you know, so many people, including myself, think Floyd Mayweather is, you know, is almost certainly going to beat Conor McGregor if they fight, is that, you know, if you get really, really good in that system, it's very difficult to penetrate. But it's also, you know, it ha it's, you know, it's, it's its own little ecosystem, and it, it doesn't necessarily um, translate as well as, as Muay Thai. And, I mean, it was the whole UFC 208 was just a disaster. I mean, bad fights, so few finishes, bad judging, bad refereeing, and then bad results from UFC standpoint. I mean, the, the women's featherweight division really made no sense on basically any level, but like the one saving grace was, well, Holly Holm could potentially become the champion and she's at least a big star and they didn't even get that. I mean, Jermaine is now your champion. She doesn't, you know, no, but she's not, she doesn't mean anything to, 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 to anyone. Um, you know, maybe she has a little bit of heel heat for the, the blows after the, after the, after the bell, but it wasn't anything that's going to get people particularly, uh, excited for the next women's featherweight title fight. Yeah. Uh, were you surprised to see Cyborg at, uh, ringside, do you expect she will eventually fight for it? I mean, I hadn't really thought about the possibility, so yeah. 
um, to, to be to be surprised. I mean, clearly based on what they're saying, they think that she's going to be able to get off uh, earlier than one would figure would make sense. Um, so if she's going to be back sooner rather than later, then it makes sense to build up that fight, I guess, if that's the fight they're going to. Um, I mean, because okay. it isn't like there's a bunch of other matchups out there that, <laughs> you know, that people are really clamoring for. Right. All right, Anderson Silva, Derek Brunson. That was not a very good decision. Um, <laughs> no. I mean, I, I was, I was sort of surprised afterwards that there were there were people that were um, that were defending it on sort yeah. of the grounds that some of the rounds were were close. And I saw, you know, some media scores were so. I didn't, I didn't think any of the rounds were particularly close. I mean, I don't think Anderson Silva did either. Not that the fighter's the best judge, but I mean, he even was shocked. Yeah, yeah. Although then he then he celebrated. God bless the guy. He's like, well, you know, if you're gonna give it to me, I'm gonna celebrate. Well, um, and, and honestly, fighters should probably most of the time, clearly not all the time, trust that the judges have a more objective view than they do of how a fight goes. I mean, I, a lot of fighters are very wrong about how a fight goes. Um, I just think Anderson, the way that fight went, I just think Anderson had a pretty good sense of whether he felt he got the best of Derek in the majority of the rounds. Uh, but sometimes fighters just, I mean. They're not the best judge because they're getting hit. They don't remember stuff. Yeah, w- one of the m- most famous examples of that was uh, was a fight with with Quentin Rampage Jackson and Merlin Ninja Hua, which, um, and, and I mean, other people feel differently about it, but I I thought that was a very close fight, and Rampage got the decision, and he just did not think he won that decision, and so he just you know you know he he sulked and he basically said the other guy won, and you know he you know he completely dismissed. His performance in the fight, and I, I didn't, I, 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 didn't, I thought it was justifiable to give that fight to, to Rampage. At least that's my recollection. Maybe if I rewatched it again, I'd, I'd, uh, um, I'd feel differently about it. But, but yeah, you can sort of, uh, you can sort of undermine yourself by getting too confident about a decision that maybe was, you know, was was justifiable. But yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I just thought Brunson was was getting the better of Silva in pretty much every department for, you know, most of the fight. Um, I mean, Silva has a big name, so you can sort of understand why people would naturally attribute more to what he did than Brunson, not in any biased way, but just sort of when he's sort of moving forward and going for big shots, you um, you remember all those times that he was, you know, knocking people out and doing all this stuff. So it feels like, oh, this is this is really important what's happening here, um, even if it were coming from a fighter who didn't have that history, but like, oh, he, you know, moved forward, maybe landed one shot in that little exchange where nothing really happened. So I can understand the per- how the perception went that way, but I, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was one of the worst, uh, worst scorecards in, uh, in, in, well, I guess a little while. I was going to say quite a while, but I think there was, there was one really bad scorecard, um, relatively recently i'm trying to make sure i'm sure i'm thinking of the right one um yeah joe lozan and, and marcin held at the uh rodriguez pen card that was also a really bad scorecard i thought so um those two have sort of been the more uh perplexing ones in, in recent memory um what did you learn about the state of anderson silva's <laughs> fighting career on this performance and what did you learn about Derek Brunson? I don't know that we got a good sense of Brunson one way or another in the sense that Brunson fought very differently than Brunson has fought in recent fights. And I think, you know, uh, understandably so. I mean, I think that's a smart play. I mean, part of the reason I picked Silva, um, was, uh, was that I anticipated the judges were gonna, no, um, was that <laughs> I, I thought that, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I 
I was very pleased because I, I after I've I started doing um in my weekly Sherdog plug I started doing picks for the cards um for them uh and I I hadn't been doing it particularly well not terribly but you know it's towards the bottom of the the, the the people that were doing it um and I I pulled out a, a perfect uh uh whatever it was ten and oh nine and oh on this card ten and oh now that I think about it um. Right. With the help of this decision, so I can't I can't get too upset at the decision for for handing me the 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 perfect record, but um, certainly it wasn't a uh, I thought a, a good one. Um, anyway, Brunson had fought fought so differently than the other fights, and I think it's hard to sort of draw conclusions about him because he clearly sensed that, and this is what I, where I was going with that before I sort of got sidetracked there. Um, he clearly sensed that the sort of wide open reckless attacking style was probably not going to be a very smart strategy against the guy that's probably the worst guy in MMA history to do that against. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, like he fought a more cautious fight. So I didn't think he looked great, um, by any means. Uh, but you know, I I thought he fought a smart fight and deserved to win. As far as Silva goes, I I don't think we learned that much either because he hasn't looked that great recently in general, but I thought he looked worse than he did in the, uh, in the Bisping or Nate or Nick Diaz fights. Um, so, I mean, it, it would seem to lend itself to the idea that he is, um, he is continually, uh, getting worse as opposed to he's sort of now at a different level and that's sort of going to be his level for a little while. Yeah. And I mean, he's just, openly talking about being an old man now, you know, and it's just like, he's, he doesn't, I mean, it's, it's, I know that, you know, the leg injury changed a lot and just get knocked out when he was clowning, uh, as Rogan put it, you know, humbled him. And it was the, those were the two decisive moments in, in, in launch in, in uh, putting him into this new chapter of his career, this new segment. But part of me just sort of wants him to come back and want it a little more, you know, like not just want to fight cause it's fun and it's what he does and it's his oxygen, but because he wants to win, and him just you know sort of almost being uh, uh, I don't want to say I'm trying to think of a term for well, how he it's just a special attraction now, and it's like he seems content to be that. And so part of me just I mean it might be realistic and smart of him, but there's part of me that just wants wants to think he has a little bit more of a drive. That said, the way he reacted to getting the decision showed you know he does still care about winning. I just think he was very prepared to lose. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I, I'm I'm reluctant to uh, draw conclusions too broadly because, I mean, he isn't physically what he used to be. So I don't necessarily conclude that he isn't doesn't still want to be that because he can't be that. Yeah. Um, and part of the evidence that you would point to is to suggest that he isn't. Is his own words, which was sort of more along the lines of you know what you're saying. But I don't, I don't necessarily. I take those words with a grain of salt in the context of someone like Anderson Silva, because if you've been a legend in a sport, to say I am fully dedicated to this, I am killing myself, I really, really, really want to win this fight, and then to not deliver sort of the performance you want, that's very humbling. If you've been an elite athlete for such a long period of time, it's much easier to say. You know, I'm just having fun out there. Even if you're behind the scenes driving yourself as hard as humanly possible because you really want to win this, 
I anticipate a lot of people in that position, if they've been at that super high level, they're going to play it off to some degree. So I, I don't, I'm not as certain about it, but I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I get that. And I mean, it's just, yeah, we need a, a larger body of work from him to know. And I mean, uh, the Bisping fight looked like he was, you know, taking it seriously. And I mean, even this fight, it's, it was, it was Anderson Silva look, you know, doing what he did even before he had a couple spectacular wins that just cemented his legacy where he was careful and strategic and waiting for openings. And if they're not there, it, it sometimes the fight can kind of grind down to uh, just anticipation without excitement. And what you say is particularly true for Anderson Silva. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, go ahead. Uh, you can run down the rest of the card uh, on your own. I, I'll try not to. <laughs> Addison, I don't have as much to say about the other fight, so we can get through the uh, rest of it and then get to the previews. Um, yeah, so uh, Jacare and, and, and Tim Bosch was, I thought, one of the, the few highlights of the show. I mean, it was, it was just a squash match, but I like squash matches. <laughs> I, MMA. Um, I feel like we don't get enough of them. Um, I, I, that was one of the things I, I – and I, I guess I can sort of see both sides of it. Um, but – you know, like uh, particularly when you're sort of throwing in people that are, are you know, it sort of feels mean that they're getting slaughtered. Like you know, the old <laughs> Japanese lady who got who got killed by Gabby Garcia. Like that just felt mean spirited. Whereas if you got like you know, like some of those like Japanese jobbers um, during the Pride days, you know, like uh, Daijiro Matsui or or Akira Shoji, like it felt like they were happy about you know like going out there and and trying their best and getting killed by people who are so much better than them. Um, you know, I think they sort of appreciated that. So, uh, so yeah, like I, 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 you know, I liked one of the things I liked about Pride was you'd you'd throw out more of those squash matches and it would make the people feel larger than life. Now, the negative was you often didn't get to the fights you wanted to see because you know you only had so much time and they were booking sort of a healthy diet of squash matches. But um, you know, they're 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 sort of fun and Jacare, you know, did what he was supposed to do. Uh, you know, I mean, not a lot of great fights. Uh, Glover, Glover Teixeira, unfortunately, exposed Jared Cannonier, um, uh, who'd been, you know, looking really good and had fun fights, but I mean, clearly his ground game is a big vulnerability. And did you ask me, did you ask me about who I would compare Jared Cannonier to, or was that someone else that we're comparing it to? Cause I can, you asked a comparison for someone and I compared them to Houston Alexander, no. which was a bad comparison for whoever it was. I don't think it was me. Um, I remember that. I don't know. I think it was you. I just think it was. It, it might have been a different fighter then. Um, oh, okay. Of sort of a, of a fighter that was uh, that was emerging. I think it was. Uh, I think it was uh, uh, the the heavyweight and Ganu. Oh right, right, was, yeah. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, a similar deal here where Canier yep. um, looked good, but we saw there were some real vulnerabilities in his game from a guy that was relatively unknown to that point, uh, Dustin Poirier. I thought that was, you know, one of the highlights of the card. Exciting, gutsy performance against Jim Miller. Um, looked like he blew out um, his ankle, um, or you know, somewhere in his Something, leg. Yeah. But you know, he roughed through it and uh, and pulled out the decision that he. I still get of- how people fight like for two rounds, are standing on their feet and go, "Yeah, I might have a broken bone in my leg." Like if I had a broken bone in my leg, I would know it, and I wouldn't have to guess, and I certainly wouldn't be standing, and I would not have just fought for another ten minutes. Well, I'm not sure about that because, like, there's there is definitely something to be said for adrenaline. I mean, like, yeah. that's not like superstition. I mean, that's yeah. you know, that's uh, you know, that's just the, the human body. Um, you do sort of you sort of register things. I remember when I was when I was younger at one point. Um, <laughs> you were younger at I, one point, by the way. I thank can't you. confirm that. <laughs> I uh, I cut my my hand on a uh, on a chandelier, 
Um, were and you, were it you was... bashing at a ceiling because there was beeping coming from under? <laughs> it's actually even more ridiculous than that, but I, I won't, <laughs> I won't relive, relive the whole thing. Oh, um, oh no. So I, I, so I cut my hand on, the, on the chandelier, and I was just gushing blood like a faucet. But during the entirety of the entire thing, I never noticed any pain because I think the whole thing was just so shocking that, you know, like it didn't register. I've, you know, I'm sure, like as far as like, you know, you know, the physical damage that was as much physical damage I've suffered. I've done things that were a lot less physically damaging that hurt a lot more. But it was just so striking that I had this blood gushing from my hand that I you know nothing was that wasn't registering at all so I mean I think it very yeah. well made the same a uh, same deal I can't you know I can't speak to sort of an injury like the, the leg there and I think also um, in this case I think I think it came relatively late in the fight I think it was in the third round when it happened um, so I think that that also played things and then for, for I, a second there I thought you were you broke you cut your hand oh, on a chandelier <laughs> in the second round of a fight you were in and it just all these so I, I just I, I, I live the wild life way <laughs> I'm, I just I'm don't want to give I don't want to give any bookers any ideas for a chandelier match, but yeah, yeah, there's some yeah, that's like a uh, that's a CZW match for you. Yeah. Um, and then my personal highlight of the night, because um, <laughs> I'm always I'm always ranting about the uh, about the, the 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 stupidity of all the this you know fight call out culture where like UFC is so bound and determined to get all these fighters up and down the car to call out other fighters, even if it, well, I won't call my whole rant, but I mean, at the heart of it is like, you've got really good matchmakers. Fighters are not particularly good fight matchmakers. Why don't you just matchmake yourself and not have these (laughs) fighters don't know what they're doing, be their own matchmakers. And this was just like the, the, the height of like my point when Islav, Makashev um, defeats uh, who did he defeat? Uh, I'm not even remembering now. Anyway, because it was not a very memorable fight, and Islam Makashev is not a very me- it was Nick Lentz. Um, it, Nick, uh, Islam Makashev is not a very memorable fighter, and he doesn't speak much English. But he, had, he God bless the guy, he had thought about this in advance because they know that their their fight, you know, the, the culture is you got to call somebody out, and so he he worked on his English to deliver his promo after the fight for his call out. Um, and they say, who do you want to fight? And he says, Dana, give me my money fight. I want Mayweather. I was like, God, <laughs> God bless you, Islam Makachev. Um, That's great. Dana White is going to give you a fight with Floyd Mayweather <laughs> in the UFC. I was like, this is just perfect. This is a <sighs> moment in time for my for my for my rantings and ravings about the stupidity of these callouts over the years. I was so happy. I was so happy. Uh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to personally call and thank Islam Makashev for uh, for for calling out Floyd Mayweather. Uh, <laughs> it was great. That's fantastic. That's great. Um, all right, uh, got a heavyweight, a uh, couple heavyweight battles this weekend. Let's uh, preview what's coming up. Yes, it's true. Main events of, of both the shows. Um, yeah, there's the UFC show. A little bit out of out of uh, turn of how these sometimes are. The Bellator show on Saturday, the yeah. UFC show on Sunday. Um, the Bellator show has easily the uh, the biggest fight of the uh, the weekend, which is uh, Fyodor Emelianenko returning to the U.S. to fight Matt Mitrion. I think it should be a fun fight, as both guys' fights pretty much always are. Um, earlier in his career, when Fedor was a guy that more 
would take advantage of other people's weaknesses. Mitrion, I think, was a guy that would be custom-made for him. I think Fedor just would have taken him down and beaten the shit out of him on the ground, um, like he did to a lot of guys during that time period. Over the last few years, he's sort of just developed into a guy that just sort of stands and bangs with whoever it is. Um, that fight, I don't think, benefits him as well against Matt Mitrion. Um, I think Mitrion's going to knock Fedor out. Uh, but it'll be fun to see uh, how it goes down. Uh, that Bellator fight, uh, Bellator card also has uh, Josh Thompson making his uh, Bellator debut against, against Patricky Pitbull Friday. I think Bellator is hoping and expecting that Thompson beats Friday, and that sets him up for a uh, for a lightweight title shot. I think that's probably how it'll go. But I mean, Thompson's a question mark. He hasn't um, been fighting as much uh, in recent years, and he has uh, gotten older. But Thompson, in spite of, of having lost a number of fights, I think he's consistently looked pretty good, even in defeat. So I don't, I don't think of Thompson as a significantly declined fighter. Now, that opinion could change very quickly, uh, because he is getting to the age where, you know, things can fall apart relatively quickly, and he hasn't been particularly active. Um, but I, my perception is there's still some juice in the guy. Um, no, you know, no steroid <laughs> references yeah. um, intended. Um, and you know, Patricky Pitbull Fred is a tough guy. What um, happened? In, will be, what happened in Pitbull's last fight? Something fluky. I can't remember. Um, I don't remember. I remember that that crazy fight with uh, with with Caveman Rickles, but I don't think that was the uh, most recent one. And then he got oh, he was because the the his brother got mad. Um, cause that set up the fight. That's right. Okay. So he got knocked out by Michael Chandler. Um, and then Michael Chandler immediately got into a yelling match with Patricio, Patricio's brother. And then that set up, uh, Patricio fighting Michael Chandler after, or no, 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 that set up my, Patricio fighting Benson Henderson for the opportunity to fight, uh, Michael Chandler. And, uh, and that was sort of a fluky injury deal that yeah. got, that got, uh, Benson Henderson, his uh, his title shot against Michael Chandler. So, okay, yeah. that is the answer to your question. All right, good. Um, and then this also features uh, Chuck Congo versus Ollie Thompson. Um, and then <laughs> it also features Josh Koscheck in his uh, in his Bellator debut as well against Mauricio Alonso. Uh, Koscheck, I you know I just assume the guy retire. I mean, he's gotten knocked out a bunch of times in recent years. He hasn't looked particularly good in a while. He suffers injuries in training. I, he puts I think people he sort in the of, eye during fights and pretends he doesn't. He didn't. There you go. You always got to go back to things. Take shots. They made that illegal from. now. I'm glad. What's he going to do? Um, <laughs> that's that's a new rule. You're not. They should call it the cost check rule. Man, what a what a what a and 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 your your accusation, by the way, was not about him poking people. Your accusation was about him faking. Oh, you're right. Yeah, we'll injuries. Yeah, it's a completely yeah. different deal. But yeah. you just you. Chunkated them out of your general hatred for Josh Koscheck. It's so unfair. That's true, I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I do. I do appreciate your glee at that. Yes. That would be my reaction too. <laughs> I just Josh. You put out of being unfair. That's great. <laughs> I am. Well, when it comes That's... to Josh, I just have no. I I don't feel bad at all. No, you don't have to justify yourself. I, no, I I I genuinely find that endearing. <laughs> um. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, so that's that's the the Bellator card, and then on Sunday the UFC card uh, main event is uh, Derek Lewis against Travis Brown, which would be a fun heavyweight slobber knocker to uh, to coin a phrase. Um, you know, just two big guys that like to slug. Brown does not look good in uh, in recent years. Derek Lewis does seem like the guy that's the guy of the two that's coming on. Um, but I mean, they're both big guys that you know that can bang. And uh, Brown has that reach advantage, and we'll see. I mean, it's you know, it, it would seem to say based on the the momentum that Lewis would do well. But I wonder what the odds are. That's what I was thinking about when I was doing this. I'm gonna look this up now. Oh wow, even odds. So wow. there you go. A lot of people think that uh, a lot of people think that Brown still poses um, very much of a uh, of a threat to Derek Lewis, in spite of uh, in spite of that. And I would agree with them. I think it's uh, I think it is you know close to pick. And I would say they look like the two people who are fighting at the casino near you. Like they they just, they just have that look, you know. Like they're the two people who are picked out to be put on the poster at the local fight. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, I could go so many directions. No, I'm like you speechless, um, paralyzed so, with uh, options. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, like, uh, occasionally I show restraint. Um, you know, more often I don't. I know that. Um, but, but sometimes I do. Uh, so, yeah, and then the co-main event, Johnny Hendricks in a, you know, a very important fight for him against Hector Lombard after struggling to, to make middleweight, uh, middleweight, struggling to make welterweight for so much, he's now fighting at middleweight, although it's sort of a fake middleweight fight, because Hector Lombard is the guy that, like, fought at middleweight, even though he was, like, thought to be better suited at welterweight, because he just didn't want to cut the weight, and so he yeah. then went down to welterweight for a while, and, you know, didn't even look particularly big at welterweight, but now he's moving back to middleweight, so it's not like they, they matched him up with one of the, you know, enormous middleweights, but, I mean, it's, it's a tricky matchup for for Hendricks because I mean Hector Lombard comes out there hard and he's got brutal knockout power and so I mean I I, I don't like Hendricks chances I mean Hendricks has well he did have big knockout power in his own right um, but I don't like his chances standing there with Hector Lombard I think it's going to be a test of whether uh, Hendricks can get Lombard to the ground and one nice thing for him in this matchup is that um, if you do control Lombard, Lombard does tend to fade. And so, if, you know, if if Hendricks can take him down in the first round, hold him down for most of the round, uh, he's in good stead for the, the second and third. It's 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 an interesting style matchup. If, if, and, if Hendricks wins, any chance of Hendricks GSP being a a, a, a fight they go to right away? Not right away. Yeah. I, I could see, yeah. I could see them doing the fight, but I mean Hendricks has just not looked. Um, that impressive in in another setting that's the sort of fight that i think scott coker would make his sort of matchmaking is more about you know sort of building people along and telling stories based on based on past history but ufc likes to just go to a big fight right out the gate and i, I don't think that uh i don't think they consider the hendrix one for that for that reason plus as we just talked about he's you know he's fighting at, at middleweight although gsp could fight at middleweight too sorry go ahead yeah and i mean i just the risk if if gsp beats hendrix you prove nothing um and if hendrix beats gsp um I mean, the story isn't Hendricks making a comeback. It's GSP doesn't have it anymore. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's exactly the downside of of, of Coker's matchmaking, which has happened a bunch of times over the, over the years. Although the, the 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 flip side of that is, you can, if you're careful about it, if you and you make the right matchups, you can build people up in a way that they wouldn't be built up if you just threw them right to the dogs. So, well, part um, of it is, I think I, I, there's probably exceptions as far as paper goes, but mostly it's draw a TV rating. Let's get more out of. Let's get more fights out of this guy that I signed because I don't have a lot of stars who can 
who can go. So let's, let's have a warm-up fight, feature him, draw a rating, and build up to it. And more of a pro wrestling booking style, minus the control, which can backfire. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that's fair. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, those are the big fights in the UFC card. Um, my homie Sarah McMahon's returning against uh, Gina Bassani, uh, too, looking to win three in a row. So that's something on the undercard, but not not a uh, not a, a whole lot on the uh, on the undercard. Cesar Mutante, Fish Fajeda, and Paul Felder, and you know, Carlos Sparza types like that. Jack the the Marshman Marshman um, has is not getting this fight with uh, with Smiling Sam Alvey. He's in, instead fighting Tiago Santos. So a disappointing day for Smiling Sam. <laughs> All right, I think there's no better note to end on than that. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll end part one on that note. Thanks, Todd. Uh, we'll come back in part two and do what we usually do in part one. Ooh, exciting. Very exciting. This is PWTorch.com editor Wade Keller along with Torch VIP audio analyst Todd Martin. This is The Fix with Todd Martin here at PW Torch VIP. Part 2 recorded Wednesday, February 15th, 2017. Uh, Todd, let's uh, dive into the Elimination Chamber fallout from SmackDown last night. We'll begin with SmackDown. How's that for a curveball? Wade, there's, they've been coming left and right at me. I don't know what to, what to think anymore. <laughs> Just defend yourself when the horn sounds. That's all I have to say. Um, the, uh, the announcement that Randy Orton made at the end of, well, yeah, let's, we'll start with that. Uh, the announcement that Randy Orton made to Bray Wyatt, that as long as he is his servant and, and, uh, Bray is his master, he will not fight him for as long as that is the case. He will not fight him. So now uh, Daniel Bryan announces they're going to have a better world next week to determine a new number one contender to take on Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. How do you think they handled this, and where do you think they're going? Well, I mean, I certainly wasn't expecting them to have Orton uh, challenging Bray Wyatt immediately. I mean, the story they've been telling has been that of a gradual breakup, um, and it wouldn't. the timing didn't really make sense for it to happen just, you know, the first, the first day afterwards. So what Orton said was, was not, um, not surprising in the least. I, I certainly expect them to, to break up at some point before WrestleMania. The timing of just as when I, I don't know where they're going with the battle royal. It's sort of an interesting move. I mean, they, they could go in a number of different directions I and mean, they could, they could have someone win and then they would be an obstacle that would sort of get thrown into the mix and would maybe feud with, either Orton or Wyatt or both um, for a time period before breaking off, or they could, you know, set up a three-way program. They could do any number of things um, with it. I mean, they could have Harper win, and that could play into the story they've been doing with uh, with Orton and Wyatt. Um, but I, I expect in the end it'll end the same way that one would have uh, one would have thought from the beginning. How about a Shinsuke Nakamura debut next Tuesday? That to me, I think, I think is is not one that people should be uh, should be holding their breath breath for. But should they be excited about it, the possibility, even excited if they're breathing? Us. Um, no, I wouldn't advocate people get excited for things that aren't going to happen. Right, that's yeah. you know that that's that's been a lesson I've learned you know <laughs> brutally over the course of my life. I was I was thinking we can do a whole hour on share our stories on that one. Um, all right. Uh, the execution of it uh, and the story they told up until this point, are, are you any more on board? Are you as enthusiastic, speaking of which, as Bruce Mitchell is, about the prospects of Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt by the time 33 comes around that people are going to care? Have, have they taken some steps in that direction, or do you just look at this and, and, and shrug? 
I mean, it's it's hard to generate a lot of excitement for Randy Orton versus Bray Wyatt on uh, on a number of levels. Um, I mean, I think they've done a good job with it, um, particularly since the Royal Rumble. I mean, they've they've added a lot more to the match than it had beforehand, but I, I don't think it had a lot going in. And both of them have their their sort of fundamental flaws, you know, Orton being that, you know, he's sort of doing the same thing for years and doesn't really have a lot of motivation in, in any of the things he does. And Wyatt, that he's just sort of this character that never really goes anywhere, um, just sort of jogs in place. And, and that's not, th- 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 it's important to know that's the character. I mean, although, I mean, it's not like, you know, the guy behind the character is like really branched on a lot of different directions, but I don't really blame him. It's more just, uh, they haven't really told stories with him that are interesting. With that said, um, I mean, part of the issue with, with Bray for such a long period of time is there's really no consequences to what he does because, you know, like he talks tough and, and scary, but he never really does anything bad to anyone and he doesn't win titles. So there, there doesn't really seem to be stakes to what he's doing. At least with the title, there are stakes behind it. So I think, I think that, that elevates Bray Wyatt to a, uh, a place that I don't think everyone would I think I don't think everyone would gain as much as as Bray does I think from uh, the title in terms of it uh, potentially being able to redefine him as his his feuds as as having more significance than they did. Um, how about the uh, setup for the main event turning into a three way? They advertised on Raw one on one. Bray Cena Styles comes out says I don't want Cena getting a shot before me. Dana Bryan goes. All right, you'll get a shot same time as him. Triple threat. And then for some reason, John Cena celebrates, which I, I was my favorite moment of, of, of the, of the show. Um, of show I wasn't crazy about otherwise. Um, what'd you think of the, uh, the decision to do that and the setup for it? I, I thought it was fine. I, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, you know, like it made sense. You know, both these guys want their title shot. Um, and so you can sort of kill two birds with one stone. And from a matchmaking standpoint, it also allows you to have Cena get beat. Cena can afford to take the loss, and you don't beat Styles again, um, which I'm in favor of not being Styles that much. So, um, particularly if you're going to do a Styles versus Wyatt program down the line, you you protect it. Uh, you protect it against Wyatt needing to beat Styles right now. So I thought it I thought it served uh, multiple purposes. I was fine with it. Uh, Becky Lynch, Becky James, follow up a rematch from Chamber. It was just a match. I don't really like those finishes where they fake the injury because it's just like, um, it, we've seen it so many times and nobody buys, the, nobody buys that the heel is actually injured. So, um, it just makes the baby face look stupid. Your point about her, about Becky not like acting like overtly concerned, like, oh no, you're hurt, <laughs> um, is, is well taken. Like that would have been worse, but yeah. just even, even getting caught, like, you know, like it's sort of like the keep your guard up thing. Like, you know, even if she was hesitant, she wasn't hesitant enough because yeah. she, you know, she was still, uh, she was still caught um, in the midst of that. I, I don't think those finishes do uh, a particular service to the the baby face. So what you're saying is you're advocating for Alexa Bliss coming out and distracting Mickey, leading to or distracting uh, Becky, leading to a roll up. Because those are the only two finishes that are apparently options. I'm a big advocate of distraction finishes. <laughs> All right, good. Um, anything else from uh, SmackDown? I, I didn't think it was a particularly compelling episode. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I was as, as negative on it as you, um, but I didn't think it was a great SmackDown either. I thought the, the main, I mean, it had a good main event. Um, 
throughout the rest yeah. of the stuff was uh, was largely fine. The, the the Natalia Nikki backstage segment was just a disaster. Um, I don't know what's going on, but like it didn't it didn't whether Nikki forgot her lines or something, but it did not feel like two people having a conversation. Um, it felt like two people like forgetting their lines, and not being <laughs> able to, to have a conversation. And I will I will say there's one there's one positive of this rise of these um, you deserve it chance. Um, which is it has just the right number of syllables for dueling chants of shut the fuck up. Um, and if I, if I can get my way, there will be dueling chants of you deserve it and shut the fuck up at some point down the line. That is, I gotta say, that is my hope too. I'm, I'm totally with you on that one. I, I do think the, one of the highlights of SmackDown was, uh, Alexa Bliss calling Naomi a little flea. Yes, yes. That was that was that was like what what awful scripting. Who says that? Oh my god. Yes. That 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 jumped out of me too. Like I I wasn't at that point I wasn't even paying that close attention. I was like, you know, like I was in the middle of something and I just I looked I looked up like flee? What really? Yeah. Uh, all right. Um all right. Well, let's let's go ahead. Uh we we, we got your thoughts on Elimination Chamber on the round table Sunday night. So, if somebody is uh subscribing here at VIP exclusively to the fix with Todd Martin and missed that. Uh, Todd and Travis joined me. Well, Todd, you bailed out early. Yes, yes, yeah. I did. Yes, I, but, I'd, I'd, I'd had enough of you, Wade. But you were professional enough to text me your thoughts on the last two epic matches we hadn't talked Wait, about. So. No, I didn't. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you did. Wait, you didn't. You didn't pretend that I'd sent along comments to make people feel like I commented on the thing, did you? <laughs> I like to project that you're professional. For Christ's sake! Okay, whatever Wade read on the air, like that was not me. I don't, I don't, I don't know what what he's talking about. So would you like? So now what you're going to do is you're going to force my hand. I'm going to have to go back and, and ask you about those matches now. If you want, I mean, we didn't talk about them. Um, we didn't. We did not talk about uh, Becky Lynch and Mickey James. That's not true. We did talk about that. Well, the SmackDown version. Did we talk about it? I thought. Yeah. I... Oh, you're right, because we did the main event, then we went in order after that through the show. Oh, so we didn't talk about Nikki and Natalia. I thought it was a great match, Wade. I mean, <laughs> they really, they really pulled out all the stops. Um, I mean, I was, I was particularly impressed by Nikki. Um, you know, I thought they, they carried through. Wait, was this, I think we actually might have talked about that now that I think about it. Um, we're just sort of killing the gimmick. It is. Yeah. Um, you yeah. actually know, you know what we didn't talk about is, uh, Naomi. Um, and, uh, Naomi's match in the Harper Orton match. Aha, there you go. Yep. Yeah. Yep. A great match, Naomi. Um, and, uh, and, uh, Alexa Bliss. Yeah. Um, uh, great execution of the finish. Um, very clean. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I hope Naomi holds the, uh, holds the title for a good year or two. It's, you know, it's, it's time for the, the era of Naomi to begin. As far as Luke Harper and, uh, and, uh, and Orton went, I mean, you know, uh, I don't. I don't. I mean, I could say the opposite, but then people might be confused. I, I, I yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm already <laughs> confused, and I'm in on it. Uh, um, I, I. It seems most people liked it better than I did. I still just get irritated by Randy, just going through the motions of his matches at the pace that I'm expressing it right now, and I just want him to turn up. The Jets and look like he's not performing, but fighting, and I don't know. I mean, I but it was a good, I, I it was a good it. match. It just wasn't the match I'm looking for from Randy. I, he's just the B minus player. 
I guess what I liked it better was that, that I thought Harper was working really hard to make the match and the announcers were working hard yeah. really to, to make the match. And so I thought the, the, the focal point of the match was more Harper's performance than the announcers. So Orton being the same Orton didn't really stand out to me in the okay. way that some Orton matches in the past that were more fo- focused on Orton, I thought got more credit than I thought they deserved. Uh, I remember Orton and, and, and Roman Reigns had a match at Somerset that I just was, uh, thought was just complete blah. Um, that, you know, some people really liked. Um, and that was sort of the example of that, where, like, it was just sort of a Randy Orton match, and it didn't jump out at me. But this one, I thought, was was more about Luke Harper, and, and that, I thought, added something to it that a lot of the sort of, you know, your standard Randy Orton matches doesn't necessarily have. All right, so let's uh, turn the page to Raw, and uh, we start... I, I'm just going to kind of go through chronologically, because a lot happened on the show. Um, plus, I want to get Stephanie out of the way. Um, she comes out at the beginning, and... Uh, then uh, has a segment with Roman Reigns that led to uh, Anderson and Gallows coming out and a, a two-on-one match being booked. Uh, has Stephanie? Did Stephanie redeem herself at all with you with this uh, with a stellar performance this week? No. Okay. Anything more to say about uh, her or Roman? No. That is so efficient. I'm happy. All right. Um, then uh, <laughs> New Day uh, come out talking about their ice cream. And Bo Dallas does the job, although he seemed pretty excited about the ice cream tricking New Day into thinking he actually was excited about the ice cream when all he wanted to do is ruin all children's birthday parties for all of the future by tearing up the secret recipe. Kind of make photocopies, people. Yeah, I know. Back up, take some, take some, you know, backup copies, store it in the cloud, um, whatever, yeah. Put on a USB stick, yeah, it was poor planning by the New Day. Yes, I, I did like how they just collapsed at ringside, like they, had, you know, just watched a loved one be beheaded. Um, it was, it was, it was quite dramatic. But I mean, the new day now. I mean, they are just, they're just at a different stage right now, where it's just they come out and it feels like a commercial. It feels like it's a commercial for their merchandise. Um, and the yeah. cast are in danger of getting in that zone now, doing actual commercials. I just, I. I don't know. When it just seems like you're overtly going for merch sales more than participating in a show where you're trying to win matches, it I think it has some pretty negative effects on the brand and on the act. I completely agree. Yeah, I think they can get away with it better than pretty much anyone could because there was such a tongue-in-cheek aspect to their act for you know the beginning in particular, but for a very long period of time that – when it gravitated from just sort of tongue in the cheek, tongue in cheek, sort of sarcastic, you know, references to all this random stuff to like, we're pretending we're being tongue in cheek, but really we're trying to hawk all this stuff on you. Um, it at least had that element that, you know, Randy, or that Randy Orton, that John Cena doesn't have that makes John Cena so annoying. There's no wink and a nod, you know, like we are supposed to believe that John Cena, the character is, you know, is fiercely devoted to his hustle, loyalty, respect towels. Um, and, you know, it means a lot to him. And so he holds it up to symbolize these values in his life when everyone, watching those they're just trying to hawk those shitty towels um you know at least with with uh with new day there's a bit of a wink that i think allows them to get away with it a little bit more but um only to a degree and they've been pushing it so so hard with this ice cream thing after having pushed the cereal for so long but that i completely agree with your observation i am so hoping that there is no phone in your vision, and that that phone somehow is your cell phone that ended up in the ceiling after you tore the hole in it and repaired it. No, no, I, I actually don't even. Uh, I, I don't. I never turn on the ringer on my phone. It's always on vibrate. So, but I just heard a ring in the background. 
Well, that's the, uh, that's the the landline rather than the uh, the cell phone you were talking oh, about. Oh, I phone. see. Well, okay. Well, it could have been a cordless cell, yeah, you know, cordless cordless phone. That's part of a landline that you stored in the ceiling by mistake. I really should just dump the landline. Eh, whatever. <laughs> All right. Um, I forgot where to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about New Day merch. Oh yeah, like Bailey and the Bailey Bear. That was going to bring up. I, I thought that that hurt Bailey when it when they had her overtly. Product do product placement that felt inauthentic in the midst of her early stages of getting over. Completely agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, then uh, it was time for cruiserweights. Jack Gallagher and Noam Dar. Uh, Gallagher wins in, in three minutes. Aries on commentary. Anything uh, jumped out here? No. Do you? Uh, where are you? On? I gave it. I gave it a good faith thought. <laughs> I, yes, you did. No, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I genuinely thought you were thinking. You weren't just pausing for for drama to sell merchandise. Um, well, no. In, in in contrast to my just like flat rejection of right. talking about the Reigns versus Stephanie Man segment. Yes. Does Gallagher have a chance to get get over um, in in the context of Raw as a popular cult figure, or is is he doomed to the cruiserweight purple rope uh, category of of being disregarded by a big part of the fan base? Mm, both. <laughs> I, mean, I think I think he can sort of become like a character that people like. I don't think he necessarily will, but I think he can. Yeah. And I think it's possible to do that on the Cruiserweight show. I mean, a, a, most of the acts in that category aren't people that are the fans are really invested in. They're just sort of like, oh, that you know, I sort of like that guy that you know doesn't really mean that much. And you know, I, and I think he could absolutely do that within the context of you know a sort of flat Cruiserweight division. Emelina finally comes out. It was worth the wait, Todd. Your thoughts? <laughs> I wasn't sure if there's there's more coming or not. No. Um, well, I mean, it's it's it feels like they're just going to go back to doing vignettes with it saying Emma's coming. Um, uh, which I mean, I, I don't know. It's sort of clever. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I'd <laughs> call me old fashioned, but I'd rather have a series of vignettes building up somebody that's supposed to be a star <laughs> rather than uh, than somebody that's. Uh, they're not doing anything with because they think it's funny to plug things that you know aren't coming. Well, and and uh, Pro Wrestling Sheet said that she that her repackaging was nixed after rehearsals failed to impress backstage officials. She did so poorly as the repackaged Emelina that they sent they knew it would fail, and so they sent her out there because they promised she'd be there. She was so awful that they rescripted it to have her just go. Now I'm going to go back to Emma, and that's it. Mm. Yeah. It seems strange to me that um, that you'd uh, you'd do all of that and you wouldn't have have given any thought to what they're going to do with the character. But hey, well, I, mean, I think it, the it, idea was she they had an idea for a character and she was just so bad at executing it. They're like, this won't work, and they're like, but well, we already. But, I, I understand what I mean oh, by okay. given any thought. I mean like like longer like exploration of it beyond like oh this is sort of what we're going to do like that they'd have like us they'd have a costume ready that they'd have done something with it beforehand um but i mean with that said i mean this is seems pretty similar to what they did with uh with brodus clay you know years back so um it wouldn't be unprecedented braun Strowman, and mark henry i thought they did a nice job i i think this is a template for you put a match on TV and you present somebody who you know is going to lose in a way that when they do lose, the guy who beats them seems to gain something from it. It's not a pay-per-view match. 
It's just it's not quite a squash match, but it gets it it gets you to where uh, a step closer to where you want to go and you utilize somebody like Mark Henry in a slightly useful way um, as just kind of a one-off opponent to show off Strowman. I suppose. <laughs> 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 I, 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 you know, I don't I disagree with that. I just suppose. I'm, I don't disagree, yeah. but I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to give a full-throated endorsement of, uh, of of Mark Henry versus Braun Strowman in a uh, you know basic squash type match. I mean, I, I don't think uh, I don't think anyone should get a trophy for that segment. <laughs> um, okay, then Roman Reigns comes out and uh, Strowman yells, "Come get me! Come get me!" And then they have a little fight, and uh, Reigns, uh, Strowman left Reigns lying in the ring. Uh, as a follow-up on their costing each other world championships, or universal championships, what do you think? Just a standard uh, standard build towards this match. I mean, they clearly are very invested in both guys. Um, can I get you <laughs> I'm not ex- as invested in both guys, but, can, you know. Can I get you excited about Bryce Harper? I mean, I was I was disappointed he didn't get more love from his his hometown crowd. What a, what a bunch of uh, ingrates! But <laughs> all right, um, then we had okay. Now we're getting to uh, more. See, how, this is why we don't run down the show in order because there's just all these things you don't have anything to say about, and it makes for bad. I don't know if it's bad audio, which is less awesome audio. Um, so we have the well. Here's the, here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I, I feel like say my name. I was listening. <laughs> It wasn't in the middle, like, like, like you, you do that when like there's like a 20 minute dialogue and then it's at the very end. Um, I mean, I, I could sort of like, you know, sort of explicate a longer thing, but like, I, like if, if there isn't like something that's particularly, I think sort of interesting to say about a segment, I think it's sort of just better to move on, um, Clearly. from like sort of my standpoint. So, so speaking of which, let's move on. Um, that was supposed to be kind of ironic. All right. Um, I I thought that worked perfectly fine. Way you just you just had to kill it off at the end. It's like last week when I thought something was was okay, and then you just killed it off in the end with a lack of confidence. You gotta have confidence, Wade. You, 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 let the people judge for themselves. You know, like you're sort of like the anti-Trump. You know, like you're killing off your own shit before it even you know people had a chance to judge for themselves. Uh, all right, I'll work. That on was it. a great bit, Wade. That was one I'll of the best on. bits I've seen today. <laughs> Very smart. <laughs> All right. So then we have uh, Michael Cole's interview, sit-down interview with Samoa Joe. I loved it. What do you think? I agree. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was very well executed. I liked. I liked what they did with Joe on this show a lot in general. Yeah. Um, I thought this was very good. I liked what they did with Zane, Zane and, and Joe later too. Yeah. Um, yeah. In that, you know, so often that they they'll book these segments that are more about you know like knocking somebody down and getting them up and. The Zayn segment, like, they, they had this match that, like, to me, like, it, it helped Zayn. Um, and I don't think it really even hurt Rusev that much, but, like, you built this match, it was a good match, it builds to Zayn getting the, the big win at the end, and then he cuts the promo afterwards, so it feels like, it doesn't, it feels like he's building momentum, this is somebody that's worth caring about, that's worth investing about, investing in. And when Joe attacked him afterwards, it wasn't like, oh, here he's beating up this goofy guy who, you know, we shouldn't care about. It was like, oh, here's this guy who's a threat who's beating up this other guy who's very good himself and who we like. Um, 
I thought that was well done. I thought the the promo w- was very well done as far as establishing who he is. I think in general they've done a very good job with uh, with Joe. I've been I've been pleased um, w- with with the booking thus far. Yeah, I, I it, it, I'm glad that they know how to portray Joe better than when he's yelling and frothing at the mouth because so many people can do that. Hey, Dolph Ziggler can even do that, and Joe's good when he's just sitting there and staring a hole in your chest, or you know, just like that intimidating look of don't mess with me is really good and the sit down interview played into it really well and yeah this was really good use of sammy too so um all in all uh a a real thumbs up i mean it's just joe's money right now i think i think for them i think he's already after just a few weeks a guy Mm -hmm. they can they they can plan big matches around they definitely plan big matches around i don't think anybody's money for them (laughs) i mean besides like seen on the house shows like they don't their their business is not a, a a money a business where the wrestlers make money in the sense that wrestlers traditionally made money, but I think sure. Joe's been doing a very good job. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Fair, fair enough. Clarification on that term. Um, anything on Sammy and Rusev, the match itself, in addition to what you said about the angle? No, no, yeah. pretty much. Uh, yeah. the key points. Uh, God, I feel like I'm going to skip something and you're like, you didn't ask me about that. I had something to say about it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I highly doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll do it. Davari and Tazawa. Yeah, that would not fall into that category. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Kendrick on commentary was interesting, framing himself as the guy who 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 broke down the door for the indie darlings, and that uh, there would be no Daniel Bryan, Sami Zayn, Cesaro, or even Austin Aries without him. Um, and he, is there? Yeah, any- I noticed that too. I, yeah. I mean, I didn't really buy it, but I mean, he has a heel, so you know, right. <laughs> he can go ahead and say that if he wants. I mean. I mean, there's there's validity to the idea that he was one of the earlier guys that um, was successful in ROH and then came to uh, to WWE. But I don't think people perceived him to be a, an ROH guy as much as a lot of the the guys later because he was only there at the very beginning and sort of spot things here and there. Um, you know, he'd done like the King of the Indies and stuff like that. But I mean, so he was sort of like an an indie character. But it wasn't at that point. It wasn't like there'd been enough time to really have people build their reps there. And when he came in, it wasn't like that was like a serious part of your resume, like it would be with later people. Um, plus, he didn't really get over that much. I mean, he was just a tag team wrestler with Paul London. Um, whereas, you know, later on, you know, people got to be big stars who came from that background. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I had probably spent too much time on it because, I mean, he's just a heel saying, you know, heel things. So it doesn't really matter if he's telling the truth, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think it's a, a terribly compelling narrative. The, uh, and also, uh, Sean Waltman was the first indie darling. I mean, truly, historically, probably, to, uh, to make it many years earlier. He's not, he's not paying, he, Mickey James would have an issue with him not paying respect to those who paved the way. I, I mean, it all depends on what, what, what level you're talking about. Cause I mean, global, I mean, I, I would watch, you know, global on ESPN after, um, you know, I got home from school. Um, I mean, that was, you know, I mean, ESPN's a pretty big, pretty big platform. It's certainly bigger than anything that, you know, something level of, uh, of ROH has, has, uh, has had. So it's, it's sort of, it's difficult to categorize. But if he's including Austin Aries, Aries was on TNA. Um, he was on national ROH television and he's calling him an indie darling. I mean, I, I just think indie darling is someone who hasn't been, who is undersized and, and, was well liked by ardent indie fans on a on kind of a grassroots level before being picked up by WWE. 
even if they've had some national TV exposure otherwise. Well, then what about what about uh, what about like Randy Savage and the uh, and and the Pafos when they were running the opposition in uh, in Georgia? I to me though. Maybe well, but, Memphis more, but I mean, yes, yeah. That later. I mean, that's. I mean, if you're if you're looking to be argumentative and make a good point, that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, they were. They were more part of an outlaw promotion than an indie promotion. Um, I mean, if I'm gonna parse, kind of parse it further, I, I just they were an agitating outlaw group more than just a small indie group kind of doing their own thing. And I just don't know that there was like this this groundswell of. I mean, I I don't know if that's a distinction that has much meaning. Well, I'm going for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a substantive reply. <laughs> it's the truth. Uh, all right, all right. Let's uh, let's move forward here. Um, okay, so uh, festival of friendship. Uh, your your thoughts on the segment? Uh, the, Every, everything about it, the uh, the segment itself, and then the the big angle at the end. I mean, I thought I thought it was very well done. I mean, the the big issue that I've talked about a lot in the context of this of this angle is that they haven't really made you want to see one guy more than the other, or really sort of tipped their hand in which they, way they were going very much. And clearly, they tried to compensate for that here by laying it on super super thick. Um, you know, they made Jericho a clear baby face from the very beginning of the segment. He made no efforts to try to pretend to be anything else. He did pretty much everything that he did was, did everything that he did. Um, everything that he did was intended to be endearing. Um, you know, when he's, you know, just laying on thick about what a good friend you are and how much I love you and, you know, you, you, you make my life special and, uh, you know, all this stuff. Um, obviously I'm, I'm laying it on a little bit thicker than he did, but I mean, right, right in the same ballpark, you know, like it, it, you know, it clearly made, it clearly made you like Jericho and made Owen's dastardly attack at the end seem more dastardly. So I, I thought that it was, I thought it was very well done. I will say a sort of a critique in general, and you know I, I make the point about long-term planning all the time, and how I think they'd be better off with long-term planning if they did that thing backstage with Triple H showing up and pulling Kevin Owens aside. They did that exact same segment, and they just aired it six weeks ago, rather than on the same show. Every single segment with Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho during that entire period would have had added meaning, added significance, added drama to it. Mm, yeah. Everything would have been more powerful. And you could do, you could make it even more if you then, you know, told even more stories like you had, you know, Jericho asking about it and the announcers talking about it and you know over time you you planted more little things. But even if you didn't do any of that, even if you just took that exact same segment and rather than airing it on Monday, you aired it 6 weeks ago. It would have given the fans something to sink their teeth into. And it was very clearly clear what they were doing. You know, like, you didn't have to be a particularly, you know, a particularly, uh, 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 um, you know, invested viewer really paying attention to the stuff to recognize, 
okay, you know, Triple H is coming in here. He only wants to talk with Seth, with, with Kevin Owens. Something's up here. This could be bad news for Chris Jericho. And then the fans can just let their imaginations run wild. And every segment has added significance since then. And like, that's the sort of stuff that's, that's really, in, in my view, really, really low hanging fruit that makes everything more powerful along the way and would have made this segment more powerful. And that's the sort of stuff where I, I just wish they'd do it. I think it's so easy. And, and th- there's no reason they could. I mean, it's not even like they knew, they knew where they were going, um, you know, in terms of like the breakup here. All you just had to do was, you know, say we really want to plant a seed um, in advance rather than, you know, the thing we talked about where like it, it's, it's uh, episodic in the sense that like there are developments, but like the, 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 there aren't that many developments that are just within one individual show. It's more like you sort of, I shouldn't say that, over the course of show. So it's like, we, we, you sometimes change from the beginning of the show to the end of the show, but it's rarely an evolution from one to two to three to four. Um, and if you just, if you just had more of those steps, I think it would be, I think you tell much more compelling stories. That, that's my one critique, but I thought what they did, um, w- w- was very good, and I thought that that, that Jericho in particular um, played his role in the, the whole thing very well. I mean, Owens too. I mean, Owens wasn't asked to do as much, but he was very good in as well as well. Yeah, that's what people say after the fix sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wade, you weren't asked to do as much, but you were very good. About what the recording equipment? <laughs> no, no, Wade, you weren't asked to do as much as a, oh, in the fix. Oh, oh, but you, you did yeah, a very so- good job. But you weren't asked to do as much as Todd. Todd was stellar. You weren't asked to do as much, but you did a good job too. Um, okay, so uh, the the this is the if if we're to par- if we're to critique this storyline. It, which you've already started to do in terms of the, the lost opportunity. If they knew they were doing that, this what they did this week for a while, did Kevin Owens... Stunned? I don't think they did, by the way, but yeah, continue, that, uh, specifically what they did this week. So the, the Festival of Friendship, do you think as of last Monday they were expecting Owens to turn on Jericho at, by the end of it? Yes, last week I do. Two weeks ago, no. Um, with the big, the big clue being that they were building to a Sami Zayn versus Chris Jericho U.S. title match. Right. Um, and so I think I think plans changed at the point that uh, that uh, that that Seth Rollins got injured, and I think at that point they sort of reconsidered some things. With that said, just to go to touch on the other point, not sure. that you're necessarily uh, trying to undermine it, um, but. The, the 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 point I was making about building things up is just you, you don't even have to know about a festival of friendship. All you have to know to do something like that is that Jericho and Owens are going to break up. That's all you need to do to do something like that. In Although I do I do wonder if the Seth turn, I'm sorry, the the Seth injury. You can know Kevin Owens is going to turn on Jericho or be you know 95 percent sure that's what you're doing. And then you can also, um, if if Seth Rollins gets injured. That can bring Triple H back into into oh that's right that forgotten storyline I chose Kevin Owens over Seth and we never really explained that particularly well and so the Seth injury might have prompted Triple H to kind of reinvest himself in the Kevin Owens story which he might not have done had he been focused on fighting Seth at WrestleMania um, and bringing Joe in as a henchman so I'm I'm wondering would that meeting have been planable four or five weeks ago if 
Triple H didn't want to be part of the Jericho Owens drama, but instead wanted to be part of the Seth Joe drama. Well, I think he's going to be part of both, and I think it would have made sense for him to be part of both at both points. I mean, Triple H, and Triple H, by the way, doesn't have a problem being involved with a number of things uh, throughout the show. Um, I mean, I, I don't know one way or another whether that changed the equation, but I mean, certainly, uh, if you're looking for reasons that Owens and Jericho would break up, you know, Triple H getting involved would be as logical a reason if you look at the history of it as anything, uh, perhaps the most logical thing. Kevin Owens, my only, not my only, but my main critique, I guess, of what they did this week on Festival of Friendship is Kevin Owens did seem sincerely as invested and interested in expressing corniness regarding the friendship with Chris as Chris did with Owens. And this week, it seemed like I missed a couple weeks where Owens started to just kind of roll his eyes a little bit at Chris. It felt a little jarring, a little sudden. I still, I mean, it doesn't disqualify this from working and being good, but I just sort of was like, where did that come from? So the storyline has to be that Triple H really accelerated or, or changed the way that Kevin Owens was looking at at things. And I, I'm trying to think if during Raw, the Hunter meeting came before there were hints that Owens was sort of thinking this was a little much. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it in that way. Um, I wasn't really thinking about it. In, in that light, when I was watching the segment, I was thinking more that, that Owens did seem sort of, um, I didn't, I, I just didn't sense that I was watching it, that this is a guy that's sort of looking down on Chris Jericho. He seemed sort of conflicted about what was going to happen because he knew he was going to turn on this guy. Um, and it seemed like he felt a little bit bad about it. Hmm, um, okay. and that, that sort of jumped out at me. But now that you mention it, I mean, I, I, I do think there were there were aspects of exactly what you're talking about in terms of him seeming sort of, you know, sort of like, eh, you know, like uh, thinking this was kind of lame. And I, I wasn't I just wasn't thinking about it as I was watching because I was thinking more about the other thing. But, yeah, I mean, your, your, your point is well taken um, that you want to be I mean, you, you explain it perfectly. They're. they're, they're Owens had been very close with Jericho this entire entire time. If you're going from Owens is with Jericho this whole time to thinking to Owens is thinking he's lame, that's a different story and one that doesn't really have the middle parts relative to the story that I was thinking about, which is the idea that Owens likes Jericho, but you know he has been planning his head. He has to turn on him because of Triple H, and he's going to do this because he cares more about Triple H than he does about Chris Jericho. Um, but that he's, you know, to some degree, at least at the beginning, conflicted about it. And I, I like that sort of story better because I, I think villains are more compelling if there's humanity to them. He, you know, he likes this guy, but he has to do it anyway. That, that to me is more natural as a story than somebody that just throws somebody aside, you know, in, in a disgusting fashion, you know, out of nowhere like that 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 isn't as relatable which makes it seem less villainous because you don't relate to it as much it sounds like you're plotting your departure from the torch at some point (laughs) (laughs) um the um the i I looked up my raw report it said i wrote they went to jericho asking owens if he's ready for the festival of friendship they had run the videos leading up to this and then i wrote owens said he can't wait although he seemed a little unsure of what was going on Triple H then walked up and asked Owens if he had a second to talk to him. So I was reading Owens' body language as, okay, this is 
weird. It's a little much. Jericho seems a little more into it. It's just like Owen seemed to reach a point in the relationship where he wasn't quite ready for that next stage, and Jericho was, or Jericho didn't want to make as big of a deal with their first balance. That's a funny way of putting it, by the way. Yeah. Um, like, Owen's like, will next week explain to the, to the best that I would have faith anybody doing, explain where, how he went from wanting the friendship as much, if not more than Chris Jericho, to being a guy who felt like Jericho in that friendship was now expendable. And it feels like it has to predate what Triple H told him. There has to be some sort of explanation, but I, I'm curious how he ties it all together. And it's it's not the most vital plot quote uh, plot hole, if it's even that, to fill in. But I am kind of curious for him to frame the friendship and the evolution of it, and at what point he thought Jericho got carried away with it, whereas he started to think, I need to prove myself on my own. And is there, you know, because there's times where Jericho did say in recent weeks, you would not be champion if not for me. Um, and it was true, but it almost felt a little, almost cocky on Jericho's part, like he was almost diminishing Kevin a little bit. And I made just a little, you know, just made a mark with me going, is Kevin Owens going to stand for that? And it wasn't like Jericho meant anything. They were two heels in a pack together to look out for each other. But it seemed like Jericho got a little too... Uh, too matter of fact about the fact that Owens wouldn't be successful without their friendship and without his help. So I'm wondering if that isn't a, a germ of what what uh, Kevin talks about next week as the reason he he did what he did in addition to whatever pitch Triple H made to him. Well, what you just described there um, uh, plays into the uh, into the long term planning thing, where if you've got this. Uh, and not even long term planning is the one word. Long term booking, uh, because it's not about the planning; it's about the showing people what you're doing. If you know that that Jericho is it, Owens is going to be turning on Jericho, and you're planning this for you know for two months, make every step of the way build towards you being simp- more sympathetic towards Jericho, because that's where you're going eventually anyway. So. In, in your example, rather than Jericho saying, you need me, have Owen say, I don't need you. And Jericho doesn't need to, uh, you know, J- Jericho doesn't need to, to boast about, um, uh, about his contributions. He just needs to show his contributions. And Owens is the jerk who's, who's, um, who's bringing up the things Jericho has done with him. And at the same time, pretending that those things didn't actually matter as much. Yeah, yep, I, I agree. So, um, l- l- let me ask this. What do you think, do you have an idea of what the Owens-Hunter-Joe dynamic is going to be going forward? Um, no, I, I'm not sure. Do you think that there'll be, is, is Triple H just, you know, kind of paying a visit to Kevin Owens' ear, sends him off in a direction, but Triple H kind of stays connected more to Joe, or do we have some sort of, you know, triangle of power forming in a faction and Owens and Joe start playing off each other for some sort of then eventual breakup where one of them turns babyface. Like are Owens and Joe now together or is Triple H just sort of a common person but in separate segments? Common person separate segments. Yeah. And I don't think Owens is keeping that title either. So I don't think there's going to be some sort of jockeying for power between them. I think you know they're going to tell a story with Owens. They're going to tell a story with Joe. And I think Triple H will probably leave afterwards, and they'll sort of be on their own ways. So I, I don't yeah. I don't think they're necessarily going to tie together. But um, I think they will to some degree before before uh, that happens. Did you read anything into Joe get irritated at Michael Cole for saying um, why are all your questions about Triple H? 
I thought it was interesting. Um, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily think about that. I don't think that necessarily needs to portend anything with, uh, with him breaking up with Triple H. It could also just be they're trying to tell the story that, you know, Joe is, is, you know, sort of a mercenary in this for himself and he wants credit for himself and glory for himself and he's not just going to be a tool for anyone else. And, they want to make that clear and that that is not necessarily something that builds towards a few with triple h that's just making his character more powerful which is a a a uh, a laudable goal in and of itself okay uh then we had a little filler a little buffer with cesaro and enzo a little bit of mic work with enzo and Cass doing uh uh swiss miss and you choke a lot and i don't know baywatch puns and uh i mean it's just it very very much is just kind of a mid-card Mid card feud right now, but any any thoughts on that? Um, no. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, Charlotte Bailey, Raw Women's Title Match. Bailey goes over here, uh, captures a title. Uh, your thoughts on the segment and and one in, one talking point in particular since that match has just been you know is it right to do to put the belt on Bailey this soon? No matter what their rationale for the journey they're on going to WrestleMania, is there a big downside in, in having Bailey triumph this soon? And is there a downside to Charlotte? Losing and winning, losing and winning so much. Yes, on both counts. I thought this was a real disservice to Bailey. A real disservice to Bailey. Like, to me, one of the most powerful weapons you have to making your show feel important is a babyface rising up to reach their goal of becoming champion for the first time. I mean, that is one of the most successful pro wrestling, um, uh, stories from the beginning of time and Bailey is in terms of her character the person most well suited to tell that story of anybody they have under contract because she's the one that's relatable like the fans she's the one you know like the, the story they told with Shawn Michaels the boyhood dream um, you know the girlhood dream um, the you know the this person that you like that's the underdog that's fighting to finally get to their big accomplishment and to give it away just months in um on a random episode of Raw when she'd lost the week before because of interference by another baby face. Um, and I know that that was, that was in there to get heat eventually on, on Sasha for doing that. And that plays into the story they're trying to tell. I think is the reason they're doing it. But I think it's a, a real disservice to the, the upside that they have in Bailey and the potential of what she could do. Um, I, 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 I vehemently, um, disliked the decision to do that. I, I thought it was, I thought it was a, a very poor decision. As far as the, uh, the, the, the flipping of the titles back and forth, I mean, clearly they flip these titles back and forth way too much and it just comes across as a contrivance. I mean, we've seen Charlotte lose on television over and over and over again and she always wins it back on pay-per-view and it undermines the pay-per-view gimmick that you know, that she always wins on pay-per-view that, that can, that can feel like, okay, she's this dominant character, but when you ever lose beforehand and then win it back on the pay-per-view over and over and over again, it just comes across as a gimmick an obvious gimmick. And you don't want fans thinking about your gimmicks as gimmicks. You want to have it have some sort of aura of authenticity that you buy within the context of the show. Um, and now they've got two very, unwelcome choices either way one is that charlotte 
wins back her title on on uh, on the the Fastlane show or on WrestleMania. At which point, on top of all the things I already said about Bailey, her first title run is now just a matter of weeks, um, which weakens her on top of everything else. Or two, you have Charlotte's win streak end at the hands of Bailey, but rather than building it up for being a big culmination on the pay-per-view, you had her win the title in advance before the pay-per-view, and then the 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 breaking of this long streak of Charlotte is the anti-climax because she had already already won the title beforehand. It's just, I mean, it's 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 really bad booking in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I'm. We can revisit this. You know, the week after WrestleMania and see if there's, it, it, not that it justifies it completely, but just to see what the rationale was and evaluate like what their, what their thinking is. Is it just a complete disregard for, uh, the, the sensible, more logical way to, to take a long-term approach with Bailey and protect Charlotte? Is there so, at least some rationale in their head that they talk themselves into besides, not thinking about these obvious things or hot shotting or whatever. I'm, I am just kind of curious when we look back in a month and a half, if, if this makes any more sense, even if we still disagree with it. Well, they clearly don't care about the things we're talking about. I mean, that's, that's yeah. why they did it. Yeah. As far as, as far as what, what, what they're thinking, I mean, I think one, they thought, you know, we've been having Bailey lose. We like to go back and forth. So here's our opportunity to have Bailey win. Um, you know, trading wins back and forth. Um, it's sort of the, the, the perception that, oh, we're just, elevating someone by giving her a title win when you're not if she's going to lose the title back again and um it tells a story that that we're just talking that i just you know alluded to earlier which is this idea that um that bailey is is going to win this title and she wants to win the title fair and square and her friend comes out and interferes and she wins because her friend attacked the champion with a weapon and i actually think in another context that's not a bad story yeah. um, to build up a Bailey versus Sasha Banks feud. Um, uh, in fact, I think it's a pretty good story, but this is the wrong context for it in her first title one. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that is where they're headed and what the rationale was. All right, um, anything else from Raw? Nope. All right, let's go to the mailbag. Go to the oldest... No, mail... No, Wade, what? I got, I, I did not put mailbag on the list. We had very few mailbag <laughs> questions. I thought, okay, we don't have anything we can talk, there's, there, there isn't a build up here. Everything is, is, is fine and nice. Um, and then you put out a request no, 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 on, on somebody, somebody sent the tweet to me. I did. Because I, did I wouldn't not. have seen it otherwise. The, 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 this, it must the, have been the same the, person the, who texted me. The, the, the duplicity, the, the, the chicanery. The, the 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 treachery on your part, Wade Keller. You, 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 the, the the mailbox was so clean, we could put off the questions for another week. I would have been happy. And instead, when I didn't even put mailbag in the thing, you set up these questions, and now I've got eighteen thousand questions there in the in the goddamn mailbox. Um, and, and and I feel like it's 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 bad. I don't want I don't want to avoid uh, I don't want to avoid these people's uh, questions. I feel bad about that. But I got to put my foot down. You were in the wrong. You acted <laughs> wrong. And 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 the people have to be punished to teach you a lesson, Wade. There will be no mailbag this week on the fix. All right. Then that is it. We are done. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. <laughs>